humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. I hope I didn't blow out your eardrums here. Hello, it's Ellie Krug. How are you, humans? <laughs> I'm here, Ellie 2.0 Radio, uh, your friendly voice, <laughs> man voice from transgender woman. But here I am. Welcome. We're here to talk about idealism and, I- and changing the world and all of that good stuff. And we have a great show. You'll love my interview with Ty Rushing. He's an Iowa-based journalist and documentarian uh, whose recent documentary about black people in living in Iowa has earned high, high acclaim. And in my C block, talk to you a little bit about my work as an idealist. But here in our A block, and by the way, my show notes are going to end very quickly. And so I'm going to be going ad lib um, because it was a busy morning with my dog, Jack. But here in our A block, where I usually feature a past or prominent idealist, I'm going to depart from that format and share two stories. Uh, one of how an act of compassion resonated for nearly a quarter century, and the other about a nonprofit that cares for the dogs of aging seniors. Um, me, aging senior, has dog. If you receive my newsletter, The Ripple, you're going to know about this first story, okay, since it was featured in the August edition of The Ripple. And if you want to get on The Ripple, all you have to do is go to elliekrug.com and sign up on the newsletter page. Um, but my newsletter that went out with this story that I'm going to tell you about right now went out on Thursday the 11th. So this story uh, comes from a CNN piece dated uh, May 3rd, 2022 by E. Shockett, It's titled, The $100 Bill She Gave Two Sisters on a Plane 23 Years Ago Changed Their Lives. Now finding them has changed hers. The story goes on to relate about a woman named Tracy Peck. Um, actually from Minneapolis, as it turns out, who in 1999 went with several friends to go to the Paris Tennis Open, okay, and play tennis in Paris. So they apparently had a great time in Paris, you know, sight, sight saw, all that kind of stuff. And then she, of course, has to come back to Minneapolis. And on the, on the leg from Amsterdam to Minneapolis, an international flight, she gets seated on the plane next to two young teen girls. Um, The two girls were refugees from Yugoslavia. Their names were Ada, A-Y-D-A, Zuge, and her sister Vanja, Zuge. And they were were refugees from Yugoslavia. You may remember, 1999, war going on. um, uh, And, and, you know, and, and for our younger people, Bosnia, Serbia, Croatia, all had been part of Yugoslavia, um, and these girls were traveling on their own to America. Woman strikes up, Tracy Peck strikes up a conversation with them. They remind her of her own teen daughters, and they're, you know, and, and these girls are, they have no one with them, and they're coming as refugees to America. Plan la- the plane lands in Minneapolis, and Tracy Peck being a compassionate, kind human, reaches into her purse, takes out an envelope from Holiday Inn. I don't know how that happened. And on the, on the outside of the envelope, she writes, quote, to the girls from Yugoslavia, I am so sorry that the bombing of your country has caused your family problems. I hope your stay in America is a safe and happy one for you. Your friend from the plane, Tracy. And inside that envelope, she slips a $100 bill. And her dangly earrings. Apparently the girls um, had noticed her dangly earrings. She gives them to the girls as the plane is deplaning, you know, gives, her, gives them the envelope and then goes off into the airport never to until recently see those girls ever again. Well, it turns out that those girls um, 
really needed that $100 bill um, because for that summer, according to the girls, uh, they lived on a, a pancake mix and uh, Coca-Cola as a way to get by. And that $100 uh, helped them to do that. But the girls never forgot the generosity of that stranger on the, on the airplane. And beginning about eight years ago, Ada uh, tried to start finding that lady. She posted something on Reddit, and then later um, a refugee service picked up the story. And then from there, CNN picked it up. And CNN, because Ada was trying to find this lady, Tracy, okay, CNN picks up the story. And in the story, what they do is they show a picture of that envelope with Tracy's very distinctive handwriting. And soon, one of Tracy's tennis companions from 1999, as well as the coach, they see the story, they see the envelope, they tell Tracy, hey, (laughs) guess what? These girls are looking for you. And soon, Tracy and the girls have a Zoom meeting to reunite. I, I've got – I can't I've even get an emotional even imagining it, but I've got to believe it was something big, something big for both of them. And, you know, um, and the thing about it was that Tracy's generosity had lasted with these girls for almost a quarter of a century. Um, and – that they had their Zoom reunion, and of course it was one where they they vowed that they'll start to t- stay in touch with each other and all of that stuff. But the thing that Tracy said about this, okay, about the fact about her compassion, about her kindness, this, an act that she had totally forgotten about. Now that's the big thing to remember. She had totally forgotten that she had done that. And this is what she says. This is what Tracy Peck says. Quote, I just want to encourage everybody in the world to just be kind. What does it hurt? except it helps everyone. Smile, make eye contact, help anyone that's in trouble or in danger. And I just don't know why anyone wouldn't do that, Tracy said. So I'm very, very thankful that I have found you girls and that you have found me. Yes, we did, Zugay laughed. It was still strange to say it out loud. Yes, we did. There you go, everyone. Compassion. You never know how it will have an impact on another human. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I got another story for you about dogs and seniors. Take care. I'm Ellie 2.0, Ellie Krug. Visit my website at elliekrug.com. Ellie 2.0 Radio. Okay, so I've talked about compassion from a stranger towards other to two strangers and how it resonated. Now I'm going to talk to you about compassion for seniors and the pets that they have. Now this story resonated for me, and I'm going to talk about a piece that was in again CNN, uh, written by Meg Dunn on July 28, 2022, um, and it's about. Peace of Mind Dog Rescue, okay? That's the name of the organization. And it's a story about how a woman, uh, Carrie Broker, um, had uh, just by chance, she's a very much a dog person, just by chance had been asked to help an elderly woman um, t- 
to deal with her dog as the elderly woman was going into senior care. And the, and the, and the woman entrusted Broker with, with taking care of the pet, do, making sure the pet was housed with another family, and then taking the dog back into the nursing home to, to, see, to see the elderly woman before she passed. And so in 2009, this organization, Peace of Mind Dog Rescue, came about because Carrie Broker um, figured out that there's a real need here. And I've got to tell you, I'm, you know, 65 years old, hopefully very active for a long time. But I got Jack, my lovely golden retriever, who's a pain in the butt a lot of the time, but I still love him greatly. And I can't imagine what would happen to Jack if something happened to me. And so what Peace of Mind Dog Rescue is, is to, is to help with the pets of seniors. And, um, you know, uh, the story goes on to relate that t- uh, typically a senior doesn't need to res- surrender the dog. They just need assistance with the dog. So, so Peace, of, um, Peace of Mind Dog Rescue has a dog walking service where people will come in. And let me just tell you, that's incredibly important. I just ta- talked yesterday to a wonderful dog walker that I interviewed who's going to be Jack's new regular dog walker since um, my other one is going off to college. Oh, I really loved this woman yesterday and she was so good with Jack. So this organization provides dog walking. They also have when the seniors no longer can deal, take care of the pet, they have 160 foster homes. Since 2009, this organization has helped 2,000 senior citizens and found homes for nearly 3,000 Dogs and what, what um, uh, Broker Broker uh, says, Carrie Broker. What she says is about this work is it's allowing seniors to pass through the final phase of their lives with dignity. Quote: In our society, sometimes the elderly, whether that is senior people or senior dogs, get ignored. Broker said, "We really want to cherish all of life. Oh, cherish all of life. What a concept." So since 2009, Carrie Broker ha- and she's created a you know, nonprofit board of directors. They've created their own vet clinic, okay, because it was just too difficult to be having all these dogs at different places. So now they've got a vet clinic. And they also have created this thing called Helping Paw Financial, which helps low-income seniors with the cost of veterinary care, $500 grant each year which yesterday I spent uh, close to $500 on Jack just to get his regular shots and do an exam. Okay, so, you know, and, um, you know, and, 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 and it, 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 it sounds like a wonderful program. Will you do me a favor, okay? All right, if you're a dog lover, which I know I have a lot of you out there, and if you're a senior, okay, or if you love seniors, which I hope you do, all right, go check out the website, Peace of Mind dogrescue.org. Read up about it. Read up about just this incredible idea that, that as people age, as they get to the point where this helps the, the dog stay in the home, but if the point comes where the, the senior needs to go, they take care of the dog for the senior and make sure the dog has a good home. My goodness, that's what all people want, right? Okay. All right. We can take our break. We're going to come back. We're going to do this incredible interview with Ty Rushing. You're going to love it. And then after that, we'll do my C block. Thanks. Bye.
we're back. LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Okay, there. Time for the big interview, everyone. I have with me Ty Rushing, who is, in my book, quite an extraordinary human. He is a journalist in Iowa, a transplant from Kansas City. He's also a documentarian. And Ty has a documentary out through PBS um, titled Telling Our Own Story, which is about uh, black people in Iowa. Yeah, it's not an oxymoron, everyone. And about ending racism. Okay, Ty, Ty Rushing, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you, Ty. And um, as we had talked right before we started the show, I am a I am a Twitter junkie, and uh, I think you are a little bit of one as well. And so I started <laughs> just a little bit, and I just started following you. Um, and and I just got to tell you, I love your work because you're kind of all over the place talking about things. <laughs> All right. But I love it. And I I just I admire you. I I want you to know that. Okay, And it was very clear to me from the beginning of when I started following you. You're an idealist. Maybe you never thought of yourself that way, but I think you are. Okay, And I define idealist as somebody trying to make a positive difference in the world. Wow, that's kind of that's wild that you said that because uh, I spoke to yesterday. I spoke to someone yesterday who's a comms director for a uh, candidate here in Iowa, and they're like, you know, every time I talk to you, you're just so positive and full of energy. And I, <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of who I am. I mean, you know, why well, sit around and be angry? Like, I mean, granted, there's plenty uh, of reasons to be angry. Don't get me wrong. Plenty, plenty of reasons to be angry, but like, uh, you know, it's just I don't know. I, I just don't got time to hate. Well, let's let's just get a, a, for a couple of minutes in the in the personal background story. So, did you grow up in the Kansas City area? Kansas City, born and bred. So, okay. born in Kansas City, Kansas. Spent a little time in Kansas City, Missouri. Then we moved. My mom and I moved over to the Kansas side when I was about nine, and then yeah, was in on the Kansas side until I moved to Iowa. Okay, and you came to Iowa to work for a small newspaper. Do I have that right? Newton Daily News, baby, 2012. So home, I'm, home I'm, of May, at one time the home of Maytag washing machines. Ooh, listen, listen, don't you can't just say that willy nilly. That's a sore spot still in that community. Okay, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Maytag got bought out, and uh, don't you know? Yeah, I, 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 I lived in I only lived in Newton for less than two years, but I still have a grudge against Maytag, and they were gone by the time I got there. Yeah, well, so, like, after the Maytag washer, I'm just kind of like Ugh. it was, and you know, it was good union jobs too, and then. So and the family was right to the community as well. So like it was yeah, just yeah yeah. It was so, a company town. And so then though, and and the thing I find fascinating is that you then went uh, to uh, Sheldon, Iowa, <laughs> which is in you <laughs> yeah. know northwest Iowa, and you y- you work for a small newspaper there, and 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 tell us about your and and I I heard on a podcast the other day you had a chance to go back to Kansas City. You know, but you chose to stay in Iowa. I mean, is it okay if I say, let the audience know, since it's radio mainly here, that you're a black man, okay? Right, and, right. and you you're 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 an I and a black journalist in Iowa, okay? Which I uh, understand you're the president of the Iowa Black Journalists Association. Congratulations, the Iowa Association of Black Journalists. Okay, so thank you. One year in October. Okay, congratulations on that. But Ty, right. how do you get up to Sheldon, and why? And, okay. and, and, and get us quickly to you doing the documentary. All right. Okay. So all right. okay. So I started in Newton, Iowa, which is in central Iowa, 30 minutes east of Des Moines. Uh, I remember going to my first ever Iowa Newspaper Awards Association show. 
And my editor at the time was an alum of the Northwest Iowa Review, which is based in Sheldon. Well, I was at this award show and the review is just killing it. They're winning everything. I'm like, who are these people? And then my editor, like, he's clapping. He looks down at me. He's like, Ty, that's the Northwest Iowa Review. If you ever get a chance to work there, you should do it. So I kept that in mind. Uh, You know, a year and some change later, you know, I was looking around for my next opportunity. By then, I was a senior staff writer at the Newton Daily News. You know, got that nice promotion. Uh, I was still making less than $30,000, but whatever. Right. right. Uh, So, you know, I'm looking for the next opportunity. And, you know, they just happened to have a staff writer opening at the Northwest Iowa Review. I applied. Uh, you know, went up there. It was like a four-hour drive or something like that. Got, you know, did the interview. Uh, and I've been warned a little bit about Northwest Iowa. Even yeah. um, the editor, Jeff Grant, who, inter- who was interviewing me, was kind of like, it's a really, really conservative area. Like, you know, kind of like letting me know. I'm like, whatever. I mean, like, I didn't understand how conservative it was, but at the same time, I'll go anywhere for an opportunity, you know, if it's a good enough opportunity. And so, you know, I, I had a like a weird interaction at, a, at the library when I first got there for the interview. Um, I remember I sat down next to a bunch of guys who were reading newspapers and I was like nervous because I was I was uh, I had like an hour to the interview. and I was like, hey, does anyone know where I can get a good cup of coffee in town? And like no one said anything to me. These are all, you know, white guys, uh, older white guys. No one said anything to me. And then uh, one by one, they slowly got up and moved. And so I was like, oh, this ain't a good sign. But during my interview, the publisher and the founder of the paper, Peter Wagner, lit up when he saw me. He said, Son, I'd love to have you on our, t- on our team if they uh, make you an offer. And he's like, you know, I said it's about time we got some diversity. I've been saying it's about time we got some diversity up here. So, like, when the guy who's going to be signing your check says that and you already know it's a good publication, that bodes well. So I worked at the Review for two years. Uh, I got recruited to go to the Sioux City Journal. I was already familiar with Sioux City because uh, that's where I had to get my hair cut at because, you know, there's not right. a black bar Sheldon. Uh, and, you know, yeah, so I got recruited, went to Sioux City, was at the Journal as a business reporter. I was there about a year and a half. I love the city, love the community, love the people, the job, not so much. And that's when I became on my first like kind of crossroads. Like I wanted to get out of journalism. Like I just like that job so much. And I had an offer for from a marketing firm that was a family owned marketing firm down in downtown Kansas City, Missouri. So I would have been back home. You know, my journey in Iowa would have been over. I would have been out of journalism. I would have had a chance to make more money than I've ever made in my life. <laughs> so all of these things are in my favor. And then um, guess what happens? I get a call. It's a phone call from Jeff Grant, the editor of the Northwest Iowa Review of Iowa Information, you know, the, that whole Sheldon company. He's like, Ty, uh, Tom, our, you know, who was the then managing editor, is getting ready to leave. We want to get the gang back together. We want you to come up and take this job. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I, you know, I've been a staff writer, business writer, senior staff writer, all that jazz, interim, like kind of like an interim managing editor, but never an editor. So I was like, oh, crap. All right. Uh, I love that family. I love that company so much. I took the interview, uh, even though, again, I had this offer already there. But I was like, you know what? I I have so much respect and love for these people. I'm going to take the interview. I go up there for the interview. And in my mind, all right, so traditionally, the uh, the Iowa Information, which owns the review, has multiple newspapers. So traditionally, the managing editor was in charge of the Sheldon Mel Sun, but they would also help out with copy uh, editing for the Northwest Iowa Review, writing headlines, that kind of stuff. So my game plan during the interview, I was just going to talk about what I could do to boost the male son. And so during the interview, you know, the president of the company, Jeff Wagner, who was the son of Peter, interrupts me. He goes, Ty, Ty, Ty. No, I'm not trying to hire you to be the managing editor of the male son. I'm trying to hire you to be the managing editor of my company. And I was like, oh, 
whoa, oh, that's kind of that's a lot. That's the dig. I mean, so uh, you know that that kind of like blew my mind open. It was like, oh, oh, he doesn't just want me for this job. He wants me for a job. Like, and he had yeah. this vision of unifying the newsroom because they have several newsrooms uh, across different locations in Northwest Iowa. So he wanted to have this like he had this vision of one newsroom, but you know, multiple locations, and he also wanted to boost their uh, online stuff because they you know it's their traditional print outlet so they had ignored the internet for years i mean they didn't have put full stories online until 2016 so when i was interviewing it was 2018 and they were getting about 500,000 uh views a year when i left they were at 5.5 million pretty I'll, I'll di- pretty darn good yeah, well so uh, okay i was there for about uh two and a half years it was a great two and a half year run I got my first uh you know chance to be an editor and then i got out of journalism again because i got recruited to get into corporate communications and i was there for less than six months before uh, started line came a calling and the sweet sweet call of lady journalism lured me back in and now it's been a, a year and a month since okay. I've been back. All right, so for our listeners, Iowa Starting Line is is it's an online publication, right? That yes, keeps correct. its finger on politics, but other things going on in Iowa, right? Yes, yes. Uh, so we're we're really big into labor news as well, and then we try to do a little bit more lifestyle stuff. So one yep. of our writers, she has a thing called Amy takes a hike, where she literally takes a hike and she at a at an Iowa State Park and she writes about it. We do a lot of stuff on we're social okay. first, so we're doing a lot more okay. you know history things and random things. Like I do a thing called Iowa Weird, where I write about weird Iowa stories. Like we're just we're, we're having fun with stuff. So Ty, first of all, I got to watch my time here. Okay. Secondly. Oh, yeah. Secondly, I, I, I could listen to you like for all day. All right. Just, I want you to know that. And but that let me do the segue. OK, because you're a great storyteller. All right. And and of course, with journalism, you know, it's all about, you know, <laughs> it's all about the lead. OK. And then what's going to follow with that lead. But to grab to grab the, the, the reader or the listener and you you got recruited to do a documentary uh, for for PBS, for Iowa yes. PBS or for PBS National? Uh, Iowa PBS. Okay, Iowa, Iowa Public Broadcasting. And and they they wanted you, even though you didn't have any documentary uh, experience, but they wanted you because you know how to tell stories. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was kind of wild because I told them that too when they initially approached me. I'm like, you know I've never made a movie before, right? And they're like, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was that journalistic instinct that they trusted. Okay. Um, and, and so, and, and let me lead you a little bit here, okay? Because I want to do, be mindful of our time. And again, you were just a great interviewee. But so, so the documentary is titled uh, Telling Our Own Story, okay? Telling Our Own Story, Ending Racism. Ending Racism. Thank you for the entire title. And, and so you, you set out, first you wanted to take a road trip. It didn't necessarily work out that way, um, one long road trip. But well, you yeah. set out to interview black folks in Iowa, right? All of Iowa, yes. All of Iowa, right. You made your All way, even yeah. though you're like, which blows me away, you're way familiar with Western Iowa, which is way conservative, and you, <laughs> you didn't make your way a whole lot over to Iowa City or <laughs> Cedar Rapids or Dubuque, okay? Uh, and I'm like, I'm making harder on myself. I'm like, what? <laughs> I like the challenge. What can I say? But but tell me. So give us give us one or two of the people that you interviewed who really grabbed you. You having to do a documentary which you've never done before, and you've got a great producer along with you and the camera person and all that stuff. But give me one or two people that grabbed you that kind of signifies the whole meaning 
of the documentary? Oh, see now, now like okay, there. Okay, so I'll, I'll I'll give you two. So Lynn Sutton in Dubuque was absolutely phenomenal, and she blew our socks off during the interview and in the pre-interview. Uh, Lynn Sutton was, you know, she grew up. They were one of the a handful of black families in Dubuque, and even uh, even now, handful of yeah, black families, right. right? If you don't know the history of Dubuque, Iowa, there was a lot of like. You know what I'm saying? Like big time racism. Like yeah. uh, Lynn's mother, Ruby, was also a civil rights activist and she called it up south because it, and she was from the south. That's how, you know, yep. how bad it was up there. I mean, there was still recent cross burns and things like that. So yep. talking to Lynn about her family history, about her work, about her hometown, uh, you know, the stuff she's doing up there. It was just like mind blowing. So like she's she's one that stuck out. I mean, everybody stuck out I and mean, they're all stars in this documentary. Let's let's be sure. clear there. Sure. Uh, and uh, let's see, you know, I'll go. I'm going to go with a Nia Wilder in Waterloo. I mean, she's an openly gay woman who ran for a city council seat. Uh, and like, you know, during like a very, very contested city election, like at least on the outside, it was very contested because there was a lot of there was like a lot of conservative pushback against the black mayor, you know, which is right. and it was what was so weird about it is like they were, uh, you know, it, it was a big, messy thing that involved a Ku Klux Klan looking police insignia. Like that was the big pushback. And right. it was just, it was a nasty race. And the, and the mayor wanted to get rid of the insignia. Again, that... And Nia got elected. And now Waterloo has its first ever minority majority city council. So like God. all of the hoobla kind of like backfired on the folks who try to make it a big thing. Good, 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 good. And, 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 and let's talk, I mean, one of the themes from the documentary, but one also one of the themes from your work is about empathy. Tell us how – what's your view about how exercising empathy, talking about empathy can help bridge the division between people, particularly around skin color? Well, I think if you understand other people and listen to them and, like, try to, like, listen to them, learn about them, you know, get, get – you know, take in their viewpoint, you get a better understanding of the world overall. I mean, I'm a dude from Kansas City. Like, I grew up in a city, like, not, you know, outskirts or anything like that. And yet I've lived in small towns like I've lived in agrarian communities like I know why an elevator is important. You know, I know why people check, you know, corn and bean prices like I know why drought is a thing that people worry about who don't farm. You know, I, I learned all of these things. And like because I went in with an open mind, I didn't just go, and, oh, I'm from the city. This is how it's done. And you, you were know, also you were also curious, right? I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, and curiosity is critical to learning um, and respectful curiosity about other people who are other compared to you. Go on. I'm sorry. interrupted well, you. Because you, know, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. Right. And so. Right. Um, and so, like, yeah, that's always been a big thing for me is that I like to learn. I like to hear about people's lives. I like to learn more about them. I like to kind of get to know them. Like, I like to share their stories. Like, and you can do that anywhere. And so, like, you know, I've done it in rural spaces. I mean. Uh, so like, as I think the empathy just parts, just, it, it just kind of comes naturally to me. Like I remember during my first job in Newton, I had a special education teacher tell me that she enjoyed my writing because I wrote people first. Uh, like I use people first language and like, I, you know, I didn't really understand what people first language meant because it was just how I wrote. It was just how I did things. Like, you know, I, I wanted the human element always present in those stories. Like, that's just how I am about things. And so, right. you know, it, it's, it's hard, it's hard for me to explain, like, you know, being empathetic, like you know, we need more of it, obviously and clearly, but it's just like a natural part of who I am as a person. Well, I also, though, think that as idealists, we need to use those words. I mean, we need to use the word empathy and compassion, that it has to become part of the regular currency as we're doing, as we're talking and doing our work. Um, you know, and as I explained to you before we got on, on board, I mean, I have a 
my work is built heavily around the idea of compassion for others and for self as a way to bridge our differences. And, you know, and I have this thing about becoming familiar with humans, which, you know, which through storytelling, remember, we're a society of storytellers and story listeners. We are. I mean, that's literally how we learn. It is how we learn. Oh, absolutely. So, all right. So I've got a couple, several minutes here still left. Ty, tell me what what was it about your background? What was it about you growing up or an experience that you had that made you idealistic, that made you someone wanting to give up, you know, forego the big dollars back in Kansas City and continue to write, which of course you know is about touching people. What yeah. what what made you an idealist? Well, to be fair, uh, the show, when I went back to show, when I went back to show, they did make it like a, they matched the salary, like it was ah, matched. Okay, so, good. Was, okay, I can make you know. So I was like, all right, I'd be able to make the same amount of money, but still stay in journalism. So like, okay. I, uh, so I, I wasn't like totally, you know, taking my vow of poverty. <laughs> but I think you know, I think like the positivity thing and just like being like really open minded. Like it stems from when my, my mom had cancer, so. Oh. Uh, yeah, she passed from it, but like she would always say, like I don't need any negative energy around me. I need positive energy, and so that stuck with me. You know, that stuck with me, and so like I try to bring positive energy and be a positive force, and so like that just that sticks with me. Like I keep that in mind, and I try to abide by that mantra because whatever energy you're putting out there, that's the kind of energy you can expect to receive back. And I don't want negative energy. You know, I don't want that around me. I don't want that in me. Right. And yeah, so I like to exude positivity. Well, and as, as, so as you have been in Iowa, okay, how, how has it been? I mean, you've related a little bit about what went on at the Sheldon Library, but what do you think, I mean, the reason I'm not back in Iowa, which Iowa is in my blood, okay, but the reason I'm not back is because of the political climate there as it relates to LGBTQ people, but particularly transgender people. What, what is your take? What do you... Do you have hope in Iowa? Do you do you, do you think that do you think do you think it's po- I mean at one time I was w- one or two in the nation for education. Now the state's down in the middle. You know yeah. because education has been trashed. So do you have hope? Uh, you got to have a little hope but like it's it's daunting. I mean uh, you know this is very much like Iowa feels like the empire strikes back for all you Star Wars fans out there like we're you know, the, the Rebel Alliance looks like deterred. You know, Han Solo's frozen in carbonite. Like, it's it looks bad. It looks really, really bad right now. I mean, like you said, the uh, the attacks on transgender people were just ridiculous. I mean, uh, and then just like you know, I felt like last year it was like okay, last year twenty twenty one the legislative session was like all right. Uh, a lot of black people I talked to called it a black lash because it was like all right, you know, all these games we made in twenty twenty, we're gonna roll those back. And then, you know, 2022, it's like, OK, now we're going to go for the LGBTQ gains. Right. And so, it, you know, I, I wrote something for Iowa Public Radio about this where it says, like, you know, I had all these worries before I moved to Iowa that it was going to be this bigoted backwater kind of place. And I found out it wasn't. I mean, 20, 2012, I mean, 2013, Iowa and 2022, Iowa are two different places. They are. And it's so weird that, you know, this terrible, this terrible like view of Iowa that I had before I even came to the state seems to be what's coming to the fruition. And you know, this positive place with friendly people and folks who may not understand you, but they'll accept you or like, you know, try to get along with you. Like those things seem to be out the window. I mean, I've seen this transformation. I mean, you know, you always see your Iowa nice and like, it ain't true. Like it's not like, 
You know, you may get an Iowa facade, but Iowa nice ain't real anymore. But and there's still great people out there. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, sure. You know, we can't the bad, you know, the bad apples spoil the entire bunch. But it's it's rough. I mean, uh, like, and I just try to like do my best. Like, and I hope my work helps elevate that and helps you know fight and cut through some of that negativity and try to you know expose you know folks for doing bad things and like you know highlight people that are doing great things and working to make this a better place for all but don't you think what's happening right now in iowa is that the young people the the people that want to plant you know you know their roots the people who would 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 in 20 years from now be the backbone of the state politically you know and and or um uh, business wise they're leaving yeah. They're not they're not staying. And do the you know, I don't want to get all political I'm a unifier rather than a divider, but do the Republicans even do they even understand what they are doing in causing the future of the state to to leave? I don't think so. I mean like when you're governing on owning the libs versus, you know, people policy, you know, that's gonna be the result of it. Yeah. I just I, you know, but you're hopeful, I hear, okay? I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be. Like, you know, obviously you see a lot of stuff that just makes you want to punch your computer every day. But, <laughs> or, you know, you scroll Twitter, you see like, oh, God, what happened now? What do they announce now? But, yeah, got to have a little bit of hope. Well, Ty, uh, I just, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you here. And um, I just wish you the very best as you go forward in your, in your career, wherever that may take you. Okay, I mean, uh, I'm sure uh, some have asked you if you'd be willing to run uh, politically. Oh, no. No (laughs) No one's asked you that. Okay, well, I'm going to be the first to. Okay, actually, there's an ongoing joke about me running in 2024, but that's a joke. That is a joke. Ty, you know what? Sometimes, okay, sometimes doing that is what's needed. So I'm just going to plant that seed for you, idealist to idealist, okay? But thank you so very much for being on my show. And thanks for all the work that you're doing in Iowa. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay, well, all right, everyone. We've been uh, speaking with Ty Rushing, who is currently um, with the Iowa Starting Line. Go and check out his documentary, Telling Our Own Story to End Racism on Iowa PBS. It is phenomenal. And he is phenomenal. And follow him on Twitter. All right. Thanks, Ty. Everyone will be back. I'll do my C block when we're back. Thanks. Ellie 2.0 Radio. I'm just sitting there seat dancing. I almost forgot I was here at the show. Oh, okay. Um, so, Ty Rushing. I literally, phenomenal storyteller. Yeah, phenomenal. And I could listen to him all day. And, um, wow. You know, planting roots in Iowa as a black man. Thank you, Ty. Thank you for doing that. I look forward to hearing more and seeing more about your work as an idealist in Iowa. 
All right. This is my C block. We talk about my work and what I'm doing. So, you know, uh, with Ty, I talked about the idea of compassion and, and, and the need to, to talk about it and model it and all that jazz. Um, you know, my gray area thinking, talking, t- uh, talk, training, and, you know, I've talked about that and how it works. But uh, yesterday I did gray area thinking uh, via Zoom for about 75 social workers in Wisconsin. Uh, mainly women because in the social work world, um, it is very female top-heavy. Um, but there were some men. and uh, But gray area thinking offers opportunity for people to engage, to talk about things like, you know, what, what identity did their parent stress for them growing up? And, um, and then, you know, I, we, we talk about how, what, you know, what identity gives them privilege or what identity do people use against them and what identity do they struggle with the most. This group of people, you know, people trying to make a difference in the world, when we got to the question, you know, the identity they struggle with the most on a day-to-day basis, um, 38% of them uh, picked uh, not good enough. They struggle with the idea of not being good enough. Um, if they could only do X plus Y plus YYX, everything would be better. And of course, my answer always to that is why can't we just be good enough? Just ask ourselves one question every day. Am I trying my best under current circumstances? You got to always throw the current circumstances in because they change. But if your answer back, yeah, I'm doing my best under present circumstances, please, I mean this, let that be good enough, really. We're humans. We're all trying to survive the human condition. But in this regard, I want to talk about the idea of vulnerability. Because yesterday and often in this training, what happens is we have people willing to share about things that they don't ordinarily talk about. Stuff that's deep in their heart, embedded in their soul, that they share. For me... It's an honoring place that people feel safe with me and feel safe that I've created a space for them to be vulnerable. But everyone, this thing about vulnerability is is critical. It is. Much of the disunion, much of the acrimony going on right now is the antithesis of vulnerability. It's people being hard and cold on the outside, unwilling to share what's on the inside because they're afraid uh, that if people hear about what's on the inside that maybe they won't be liked or loved. But the reality is we all have that fear, don't we? And, you know, um, and, and, you know, parenthetically here, Brene Brown, if you don't know about who Brene Brown is, she is a wonderful sociologist slash researcher slash social issue leader um, who has done great work around vulnerability and shame. Brene, B-R-E-N-E, Brown, B-R-O-W-N, just Google her name and the word vulnerability and you'll come up with the best video that you could watch for 18 minutes, best video you could watch for the next six months, okay? It's that good. So you, in your life, as you go about, are you willing to be vulnerable? Or are you hardened on the outside 
afraid of what may be allowing somebody to peer in, what that would produce. Because I will, I will guarantee you, Just it happened just yesterday. If one person is vulnerable, if they're willing to be vulnerable, it's contagious. It is. It's like giving other people license to be vulnerable. And then you start having, you start hearing these stories from people. You know, we had six people yesterday pick when asked the identity that my parent or parental figure stressed from me, we had six people pick not good enough slash failure. Six people out of 75 yesterday growing up in households where their parents or parental figures were telling them they were no good. Can you imagine that trauma and the stuff that we carry that a human would carry for their entire life? having heard something like that. But if people don't share about that having happened to them, we have no way of knowing about the need to be compassionate towards those people. See how that works? You let people know what has affected you. You let people know maybe what you're afraid of or what you have endured. You let people know, and everyone, I want you to know the, the immediate reaction from people is not criticism, it's not judgment, it's caring. Oh my God, I had no idea. I am so sorry. It's incredibly powerful, this vulnerability thing. It is. It is the kind of thing that we need. So much more right now with all that is happening, with all of the stuff, we need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Okay. Well, there you go. As they say, another show in the can. And a uh, big pr- thank to my producer, Patrick, who's done marvelously um, with keeping me on track. You, my listeners... You know what? Between now and when you hear my voice next, next it'll be live. I'll be live on Saturday, um, the 21st. Okay, I'll be live. So call in. But between now and then, will you do me a favor? Go out. Do something to make the world better. Be kind to a human. Use compassion. And maybe be vulnerable. Okay? Talk to you next week. Thanks so very much. Ellie Krug out. Ah.